cassette platters on the use of cassette tapes for audio messages between families in Britain and Pakistan. Common jobs taken up by migrants were mainly in mills and factories, often based in northern areas of the UK, where there were greater opportunities at the time. The impact of migration was unpredictable in many ways, both culturally and intergenerationally. I think in Pakistan, every person has a dream. They slept at night in Pakistan and when they awake in the morning, it will be in UK or in USA. Or, uh, these are the desires and hopes of people of Pakistan to improve their financial status and improve their life. My father came to the UK in 1958. And he came and looked for work and once he'd bought a house, he sent for my mother and also my older brother and myself to come. I still have very vivid memories of the journey to the UK. One of the pilots came, I think we must have been the only children on there, he actually came and chatted with us. And I remember the stripes on his shirt or blazer or whatever he was wearing. I think it probably was English, but he actually spoke our language. I was wearing a gold necklace. He said, can I have your gold necklace? Just sort of like chatting to me and teasing me a little bit as well. I still remember when we came, it was November, very cold, snow as well. That was just something that we just couldn't believe it. The snow was really like one, two feet high. We used to have to use a shovel to try and get rid of the snow. The fireplaces were there in all the rooms. It was a three bedroom terrace. We used to just keep the coal fire in the sitting room where we sat most of the time. Everywhere was cold. We just were not used to that sort of weather. One anecdote quote from my mum, I think it's quite revealing about the 1960s. 
She said she came from Pakistan to England and she left a land of Technicolor to come to a monochrome place. She left Pakistan, Punjab, where all the girls wore really coloured clothing. They'd have piercings, nose ones and it, all her ears were done and everything because it's quite traditional culturally over there. She come here in Bradford and the amount of soot and smoke from the factories had turned the town into something that was ultra grey. You know, there wasn't any colour here. The early Pakistani migration was down to engineering accident, which is really surprising to me. I kind of thought that poverty and opportunity were the things that were driving migration from Pakistan and India, given the British colonial presence there and, and Commonwealth ties, relatively open borders, and that somehow Britain needed manpower post-Second World War. But there seems to be other sort of reasons. There's an engineering accident that happened in Mirpur that was flooded and there was compensation that was paid to a lot of the families that were affected by it. They were the first wave of migrants that came over to the UK in the 50s and 60s. And they settled in the Jordan mill towns of Lancashire and West Yorkshire. One of those towns was Oldham. A lot of the people that my grandfather knew were in Oldham. And they said to them, move up north. They said there's a lot of cotton work up here. There's a lot of mills back in the day. If you drive through Rochdale, Shaw, Oldham, you see some remnants of the old mills that are still there. I don't think they've been knocked down, but some of the chimneys have been knocked down. Essentially, our parents were just labourers. They invited to the UK as labourers, not as people who were educated. So they were here as doctors, lawyers, solicitors, or physicians, or whatever. They were here as labourers. We come here in the 60s, mid to late 60s. After five years or so, there was an economic base of being able to travel backwards and forwards, especially in areas like Birmingham, in Bradford, in Oldham. There would be hardly any day that we didn't know somebody was going front to Pakistan. And a cassette was an easy thing to go take over, and sometimes be faster than a letter, really. Letters would take a week to get there, if they got there. Because my parents didn't tend to post them, and I don't think their relatives tended to post the tapes. I know some families did, but we tended to rely on people that were going and coming from Pakistan, family members or relatives or just friends. Or it, just, it might be somebody who lived on the other end of Bradford, but you knew them and they were going to Pakistan, so they would come and collect your tape or you'd drop it off. She'd find out somebody was going, she'd sort of, you know, prepare herself and get me to write the name on and the address so it'd get to the right person because there was more than one person with the same name there. I didn't have a clue when she talked about villages or whatever. I do now, but at the time I didn't. So she'd say, this is a district area, this is the village, put so-and-so on it, otherwise they won't get there. Mostly it used to be set by hand. 
for them, every time they used to record a cassette, it was extremely vulnerable because they were speaking to their mother, they were speaking to their father, and they were offloading a lot of the times, you know, because their parents would insist, oh, just talk to us about what it's like out there. We didn't have videos back then to show them, or this is what our town centre looks like, or these are what our roads look like. You'd hear dad talk about the cars and there's so many cars on the road here and, you know, they have traffic lights here. It was just things like that that they used to talk about, just trying to build a picture for their parents back home. But they never discussed any grievances with their parents on these cassettes, almost to sort of protect them as well, because they didn't want, you know, these cassettes to go back and for their mum and dad to get upset hearing them. I think from a very young age, we were told by our parents, our elders, Gore Marsane. Gore Marsane. That the Gore are going to be you. Because I think that's what they experienced, and they thought that we don't want our children to go through that. So they wouldn't allow us to go into town alone or into predominantly white areas alone. They take Koli Ethereum, you know, within your own locality. So they tried to protect us from what they suffered from their days where the NFs were around or the skinheads were around. They used to tell us stories of their experiences. They'd be just walking on the streets and they'd see a bunch of Gore skinheads coming around. We got that from an early age. In our area, there was just one other Pakistani family. Everyone else was white. And in the school, that was the case as well. I didn't have many friends. I think there was a lot of racism and prejudice against us. You know, I definitely felt that. I never wanted to be on my own going anywhere, you know. Just on streets, maybe, you're walking. So I used to be a bit scared going to school, you know. I might meet somebody on the way that say called names. I don't know when and how Pakistan became the target for racism in that way. But times have changed. Society has become more accepting and more tolerant from their days. When they came over, their mission was to make a bit of money and go back. That's what they wanted to do. Do up their houses and just make life and living a bit easier. Not knowing that they're going to be here forever. My brother and I both started school and neither of us spoke the language at all. In my class there was nobody else. So there was no such thing as, you know, um, teaching assistance or anything like that, helping you with the language or anything like that. You just had to get on and learn. Both my brother and I, we picked up English and we learnt a lot really quickly. We used to come home, my brother and I, and we used to teach our mother. You know, we used to teach her all these words and she was so eager to learn the language. 
I always loved school, despite not having any friends or anything, you know. And they had a competition in the whole school for the best handwriting, the pupil with the best handwriting. And um, I'm very proud to say that I won. I had a fountain pen as a prize, so I was very proud of that. There were young people from the 70s and 80s. They've held on to it a little bit, their culture. But the ones born in the 90s and the zeros, they don't feel connected to it. But as we grow up, you know, we accepted life here and the way of living here. The parents still nowadays are still hold themselves back from certain things. There's an Asian and a Brit identity was being formed because, I mean, for our parents, they're Asian, they're Pakistanis. So they're kind of firmly rooted in that as an identity, whereas we were born here speaking a language that's different from our parents and being educated in ways that they had no idea about. But you've got this Asian-ness that's alongside and it's kind of being formed around us and encouraged so that we don't lose sight of who we are. And I think different kids took it differently. Some kids rejected it entirely and sort of, and some kids saw themselves entirely as Pakistanis and some kids like me sort of lived parallel sort of lives and are sort of developing a central identity that's a combination of these two. This episode features archive material from the Tape Letters Oral History Project. Tape Letters is a Modus Arts production. Presented by Wajid Yassin, audio production and sound design by Oliver Sanders, Produced by Leona Fensom and James Ibrahim Hadrill. The executive producer is Lucia Scazocchio. For more information, head to tapeletters.com.